in Spanish. You remember how it goes, Sarah? Pon tus ojos en Cristo. Está lleno de gracia y amor, y lo terrenal sin valor será a la luz del glorioso Señor. I sang that for uh, Grandma because she's from Puerto Rico. Y'all didn't know that. So Spanish was her native language. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I pray, Lord, that we will see into your word. Lord, feed us this morning. I pray that it would not be my words, Lord, but it would be your words that are spoken. And Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, we're moving on in Revelation. This is Revelation chapter 2. And uh, this is going to be an, a message primarily to the church of Ephesus. I say primarily. And the big message today is Jesus will give them, I think, what Pastor Larry calls a truth sandwich, right? Truth sandwich, there's things about you that I like. Hey, but here's something I need to tell you that I don't like, but it's all going to be okay, Larry, because I like you. It's kind of a truth sandwich. And he is going to give the church in Ephesus a, a truth sandwich this morning. So let's just look. First, we are in review. Last week, we went over the vision. Remember the cool video we had? Did y'all enjoy that? Oh, it was just amazing, wasn't it? where John had that vision and he saw Jesus up there in and among the lamps. And the lampstands, of course, John tells us, where are the churches? And uh, what we saw was a description of things that were seen, okay? So that would be chapter 1. Chapters 2 and th 3 describe things that are as they are. And chapter 4 and beyond will describe the things that are to be or things to come. So this morning, we're going to begin, and we're going to examine each of these messages, and we're going to start with Ephesus. And I prayed about it all, excuse me, all week, and uh, I, I've just uh, really just spent a lot of time in prayer with this scripture dive, maybe than I do in other dives, because I've never really studied Revelation, and I wanted to get to the bottom of what I feel that the Lord would say to us today in it. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 2, and I will read verses 1 through 7. That's our text for the day. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake. This is Jesus talking. And have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you. This is the part of the sandwich that's not so nice. That you have left your first love. You've left your first love. So today we're going to talk about the tendency we have as believers to leave our first love. How that happens through the attractions and the distractions that come into our life, okay? Then he says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. He says, wow, you've come, you've fallen so short of what you were at one time. Repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. This is not a repentance as unto salvation. He's not talking about salvation here. This is something different. But this you have, and that, and th this is now the good part of the sandwich, 
But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. That's Revelation 2, 1 through 7. So you may stop and say, why is Jesus only speaking to these seven churches? I told you that when Sandy was little, she read this. She told me the first time and thought, why would Jesus only talk to seven churches? And as I thought of it this week, I think that really it's a message. Yes, there was a word to the church of Ephesus in that day. Ephesus was a rich place. I'm going to show you pictures in a minute that it would blow your mind. I know the Browns have been to Ephesus, and of course the houses have been there, and and Mike and, and Audrey have been there. And Sandy and I went, and when you see Ephesus, it's astonishing, isn't it? The ruins there, they, they are so much greater than anything you'll see in Rome. I've been to Rome, and you go, wow, is that it? That's the Appian Way? That's where it happened? And you get to Ephesus, and you go, oh, my gosh, look at this. What happened in this place? So I think it was a word to the church of Ephesus in that day that we know was mighty in their works and did amazing things for the Lord when they first came, when the gospel first came to them and they were set on fire by the Holy Spirit. Secondly, I think these words that we're getting are words to all churches, including Union Grove, throughout the church age. And you will remember that the church age goes from when? The day of Pentecost, right? Until the day when we will be raptured and taken to join Jesus in the air. Uh, it's amazing to me how people find things to argue about. I got a text from someone last night who's related to someone that goes to this church telling me if I teach a rapture before the tribulation, that I'm an instrument of the devil. And you just wonder, what gets into people to say such goofy, crazy stuff? I may be wrong, but I'm not an instrument of the devil. And, 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 and I wrote him back and I said, you know what, if you want to live, I mean, I wrote them back, I won't say him, wrote this person back. And I said, you know, if you want to live through the tribulation, go ahead. You can stick around, but I'm checking out. As Dr. David Jeremiah says, I'm looking for the overtaker to take me instead of the undertaker. Amen. So I think it's a word to all churches, including Union Grove, because we are going to have the tendency in the grove over time to grow cold in our faith, maybe grow have a cold shoulder to one another where we no longer love fervently like we did in those first days that we are together now, right? Amen. If I always imagine this thing of, of 2,000 homes being built behind us here in the D7 Ranch, and I'm going, can we maintain who we are if, you know, 300 people show up one Sunday and swamp us? I think if we listen to the message at Ephesus, we can. And thirdly, I think there's a word here individually, Paul, to us as believers. I know there's a message to me as I sometimes forsake my first love. I leave my first love. And I, that's an odd thing to talk about. Sandy and I talked this week. It doesn't say that you've forgotten your first love because you can accidentally forget stuff, can't you? Lord knows I can. I forget my keys, where my wallet is. Probably leaving today, I'll forget where I put my car because I went home and came back. But if you forsake something or you leave it behind, it's, it's definitive. It's an action that you've decided to do. So our first love should be Jesus and him alone. If you wonder and you leave today, uh, Devin, and what was the big idea with what pastor said? Your first love should be Jesus and him alone. 
And then quoting the great theologian, Pastor Michael Havens, beware of distractions and the wrong attractions that come along and vie for your attention and pull you away from your first love where you have a desire to leave your first love. Amen. So I am not a person that clicks clickbait much. Y'all know what clickbait is? You go online and you see something and it says, wow, how to lose 30 pounds without even trying and do it in 20 minutes. You know, you think, well, I'll click that. I want to know what that is. Well, I don't know anything about pro football. I've never mentioned football from this pulpit. I'm going to mention football today, but not because of football, but because of the Lord Jesus. I clicked clickbait because it said, how did Tom Brady's marriage come to an end? His wife was going to say. And I just clicked it. And what was so funny, I thought, why am I clicking this? But all week I had been asking the Lord to give me a good illustration of how and what it means to lose one's first love. So why did Tom Brady's marriage fail? This is a little preface to our teaching. This is a quote from a, uh, a interview he had with Howard Stern in 2020. He said, Giselle, that's his wife, didn't feel like I was doing my part for the family. She felt like I would play football all season and she would take care of the house. And then all of a sudden when the season ended, I'd be like, great, let me now get into all my other business activities. Let me get into my football training. And she's sitting there going, well, when are you going to do things for the house? When are you going to take the kids to school? And I mentioned something in the written uh, sermon that you got this morning. And I said that in it, he said, I never really considered that she had goals too. I'm going, wow, for a smart football player, this is a pretty dumb guy. That she had goals too. He said, I didn't know that. So look how happy they are there. And then look at him once he had left behind his first love. Look, don't they look kind of miserable there? They do to me. That's a glamour shot of them. The most revealing thing I came across was in another article about him, because then you're down that rabbit hole where you're going to end up watching hippopotamuses, you know, diving into rivers and weird things. That If you get on YouTube, favor gets the joke. You know how it goes when you go to look up Tom Brady and you end up looking at the solar system. But... The most revealing thing is he said to some co-hosts, he said, the, and this is really something, the only time he can find peace is when he is on a football field. That is scary for someone who's about to retire because it means all of their worth, all of their self-value is dependent on being on a football field and looking for peace on a football field, which is nowhere where you should look for your peace. Amen. And we need to be careful where we don't find our peace only on the football field. And the football field is that place where you feel capable, where you feel like you're empowered, that you can do what you do because someday you'll be taken down from that place. And if you don't have the peace of Jesus in your heart, you ain't got no peace. Saying that for the folks there that may not understand Texan, all right? You don't have any peace. So back to the top, we fall out of love when our first love with our first love, when we are attracted, Pastor Michael, to the wrong things. We get attracted by the clickbait. We click on it, okay, the shiny stuff, and we're distracted from the right things. I love, there's a, some little clip I've seen of Andy Taylor saying to, uh, actually the guy playing it was Buddy Epson, who was this drifter that came through town in Mayberry and tried to trick all the young kids into following him and and Andy Taylor said, you know, he said, I stopped all that because young boys are real susceptible to shiny things. And he said, sometimes you need to tell them that those shiny things will hurt them. 
That is, that is so wise. So Jesus will present, as I said, to Ephesus this true sandwich. And the overall theme this morning is wrapped up when he says, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Guys, have you left your first love? I know occasionally I do, but being a pastor sure helps me because I'm forced to dive into the Word, and I shudder to think what would happen if I weren't forced to dive into the Word each week. You know, would I be as faithful to pick up the Word? I don't know. I'm grateful that God put me in this harness that He did because He knows what I need to stay close to Him. So Ephesus, we think, or scholars think, that, that that's a picture of Ephesus. Isn't that spectacular? I mean, guys, it looks like that for miles and miles. Ephesus was a huge deal. And you talk about a magnetic pull to be attracted to the things that didn't matter. In Ephesus, there was everything. The library was connected to the brothel by an underground tunnel. I mean, really, y'all been there. You saw that. It was Bye, honey, I'm going to the library. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, there was all kinds of merchandise from everywhere. In that library, not this library, but the one that was on the first picture, there were 12,000 scrolls there. It was a gigantic library in the ancient world. There was everything that it attra could attract you and distract you from the thing that mattered as this young church caught on fire for Christ, right? That's the place where Paul went, and he ended up in this very amphitheater, and I've sat in it. It's, it seated 25,000. That's where the riot started in Ephesus because they said, long live Artemis. That's the fertility goddess. And uh, Demetrius, who was a silversmith there, brought charges against Paul because he was losing his idol-making business. And they put Paul in here, and he was seated right in that place. And you can go there today right to where Paul stood and made this defense. It's an amazing thing. Um, and you can read about that this evening in Acts chapter 19. Where is Ephesus? If you'll look here, Ephesus, this is the United States. For those that are geologically or geographically challenged, I'm linguistically challenged this morning. But that was, that's the United States. You come over here, you go through the Straits of Gibraltar, come across the Mediterranean Sea, and here you are in Turkey. And Ephesus is right there in Turkey. That's the little point we're looking at. And there is Ephesus there. Okay, Athens would be over here. And these are the seven churches to whom this message was sent by the Lord. And I think that we'll get something we need out of each of these messages. Verse 1, to the angel of the Lord, or the angel of the church of Ephesus. And I'm going to just say for angel here, angel means messenger in the Greek language. So, we might want to substitute here to the spiritual leader of the church of Ephesus, write these things. And who is talking? It's Jesus that's talking. Jesus is the one giving the message. These things says he, that's Jesus, who holds the seven stars. And I like to think of those maybe as the pastors of those churches. He's holding them. He's guarding them. He's keeping them in his right hand who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. And we learned in chapter 1 what the seven golden lampstands are. Can you all remember what it is? Those are the churches, these churches that we just looked at. And there we saw Jesus superintending his churches as he does today. Y'all may think that I'm the head of this church, but I am not. The Lord Jesus is the head of Union Grove Baptist Church. I am the spiritual leader in the church, but the Lord Jesus is our head, 
And he is superintending the activities that we do. And when we sit and we meet as as committees and meetings, we seek his will. We want to know, God, what is it that you desire for us to do here on this place? What is your will for us here in this grove? And as long as we've listened and we've been attentive, he's led us every step of the way. And he'll lead us again, even when D7 becomes the new Fairfield or something. Who knows? But he's there superintending his church, and he does when we lean on him. Verse 2 to 3, I know your works, your labor. He's talking, these are good things. Your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. That's all good stuff. You know, he's saying, I know your works, I know your labor, I know your patience. Wow, that's big stuff. Works first. You know, there's all kinds of people doing all kinds of works here at the Grove. And really in the church in general, all over the world, right? But when our works begin to get separated from our love for Christ, weird, strange things happen. I said in the early days when we were here together, I said, guys, as long as we don't take ourselves too seriously, and I wasn't saying let's kid around, but don't take our own agendas so seriously and let the Lord have his agenda, we're going to see God do great things in this place. And God has been faithful, and he has done those things. So our works, when I get up and I do works for this body, I'm really doing them for the Lord. Saying, Lord, I want to be obedient to what you would have me do. As I divide your word, as I look into it, Lord, let me be faithful. And the day that I'm no longer faithful, and the day that I don't agonize over the Scripture, and I don't say, Lord, cry out to him, what is it you want me to say to this people? Then that's the day I need to quit. Because it needs to be out of my love for him, and then you're blessed. Uh, the work of our audiovisual team needs to be motivated out of love for the Lord Jesus. And then the fruit comes with it, amen? And there's no egos involved. Those who handle our finances here, they need to always be conscious, I'm doing this for the Lord. Yes, the church benefits. Yes, these duties and these Things need to be done, but it's for the love of the Lord Jesus. And, and he's telling Ephesus, you've done all these things. You had a great finance committee. You had a great audiovisual group. You had a great kids ministry. But you forgot that I was the purpose of it all. You have forsaken your love. We don't want to ever be ones that do that. And then he goes on and he says, I know your works, your labor, and your patience. Wow, sometimes I... Hope the Lord doesn't even notice how impatient I am. I got another weird text from someone last night that doesn't go here, talking about all kinds of weird things. And man, I wanted to, to strike back. And I just remembered, you know, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, long-suffering, not short-suffering, long-suffering, patience, goodness, meekness, self-control. But I, that word meekness, you know, uh, I saw another, once you're looking at everything that went wrong with Tom Brady's marriage, I saw one that said, the one thing that, that successful couples say is good for their marriage, and it was kindness. I thought that was interesting. That's so biblical. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as Jesus, as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. The main advice Sandy and I give, not that we always follow it perfectly, those of y'all who spend close time with us, is we tell young couples, be kind to one another. It's harder to be kind to one another than to love one another. You know, if I happen to leave the toilet seat up, it doesn't always mean that I did it on purpose, right? And so kindness forgives those kinds of things and overlooks those. 
And then he says, you cannot bear those who are evil. So he's praising them because of their intolerance for evil. And I don't think this is talking about evil out in the world. It is to some degree, but it's talking about those who come in and do wrong here that we're to just really kind of, we're to love one another, but we're not to just tolerate a bunch of sin either. Uh, look at what Paul says there in 1 Corinthians 5.12. He says, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? I'm trying to tell you, all, let's don't get too focused on what goes on with the world, but because that's all that we'll have in our focus, right? It is not those, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? And judge there means make a decision about whether they're doing right or wrong. God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. This is Paul talking. I just wanted to remind you that, that and he goes on saying, you've tested those who say they're apostles and are not and have found them liars. We're to be on our guard as people come through here that bring a false teaching and a teaching that's something other than Jesus and him crucified and belief in him and Christ alone. Amen. Then he goes on and you have persevered. Boy, that's a good thing. You know what perseverance is? It's what John Bassanio called stick to I love that. Back years ago when we went to First Baptist Houston, probably 40 years ago, he got up and he said, the Christian is called to have stick to That means you stick with it. You persevere. Times get tough and you keep on going. You say, Lord, I can do this through you. You say in your word that whatever suffering comes my way, I can get through all things through Christ who strengthens me. That means you can get through uh, probation payments that are needed. You can get through running out of horse feed. I'm, I'm thinking of all the nightmares we get into in our little church. You can get through the next surgery scheduled or doctor appointment for those of us who are over the age of 60. All right. Uh, you, we can do all of that through the Lord who strengthens us. He said, you persevered and you had patience. And I think, wow, Lord, give me patience and please hurry. You know, patience is difficult for Faber McMullen. Uh, it's difficult. It's difficult, but I'm learning, and with the Holy Spirit soothing, I am becoming a much more patient, and I will say, person who's at peace than I was when I was much younger. And you have labored for my name's sake. That means being a good spokesman for the Lord Jesus, you know, uh, for his name. It's for the sake of his name that we are this way. And he says, you have not become weary. It is a natural tendency when you're doing good to grow weary doing good. It really is. You just get weary. You guys have pastored a church for 18 years or churches. You get weary. And Paul knew that. And when he wrote that little church in Galatia, he said, don't grow weary while doing good. Why did he write that? Because we grow weary doing good, right? He says, do not grow weary doing good for in due season. That means at the right time when the fruit is ripe on the tree, it'll be there to be picked. We will reap if we do not lose heart. Do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And I've had to preach that to some recently who've come to me that got tired of doing good for others. And I've said, look, this person is a believer and uh, and so be careful that you do uh, good for this person because they are of the faith, okay? So we're to do good to all, but especially to the household of faith. 
Verse 4, nevertheless, uh uh-oh, here it comes, Larry. The shoe's dropping. Jesus says, I have this against you. You have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works. He's not saying repent to be saved, but repent of the fact that you've left your first love. And guys, we have to do that over and over and over again because we get distracted, don't we? We become attracted to the things we shouldn't. And I have to say, maybe on a daily basis, maybe on an hourly basis, maybe on a weekly basis. For me, it was since last Wednesday, this morning in the men's group, and I'll confess my fault here in a minute, uh, forgetting what I myself said or the Holy Spirit said through me on Wednesday night that needs to be said again. It's so easy to forget about uh, the Lord and to be focused on the task at hand. I call that the Mary Martha syndrome. Y'all remember the story of Mary and Martha? What was Mary all about? No, she was all about sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Martha was all about getting the dishes cleaned. And it's easy for us that are Marthas. I'm, I'm kind of a Martha. They go, well, somebody's got to clean the dishes. You know, here, everybody can't just sit there at Jesus' feet. Well, maybe those of us who are dishes cleaners sometimes need to go, you know what, I just need to wait a minute because the dishes will be there a little bit later. And I'm using dishes metaphorically. It's all about our priorities. Where are my priorities as a pastor? Where are your priorities as a congregant? Are they just on getting another coin in your pocket or just getting something that seems important but maybe isn't done? Uh, We end up doing and distracted by these tasks, and all the while we miss out on being with Jesus. Yesterday morning, I had the great opportunity to crawl up on my zero turn, my John Deere, and I love it because it's a time for me to not be distracted. Get on that thing, and I don't know. I just end up, it's like I'm in that third heaven that Paul talks about. Nothing to me is wonderful maybe is getting on there and say, Lord, speak to me today. And you can do that as well. You can say, Lord, just put an inclination in my heart as to what I'm to do. And that is what it means to sit at his feet. When activities are done without love, there's going to be no spiritual benefit. If I sit here and I get up and I'm preaching the word and there's been no personal repentance in my life, there's no, been no desire for holiness in my life, I'm telling you all there will be no power in what I say. I've gone and heard a pastor preach and preach over and over and over with my kids even. And on the way home, I remember young Alex, and he listens to these podcasts saying, Dad, why did Brother Joe, we'll call him, preach the Word? But I got nothing out of it. There was no power in it. Later on, we learned that Brother Joe was in the middle of an affair with somebody. There was no power because there was no holiness behind what Brother Joe was saying. So what are our motivations in our different areas of service? What is your motivation? When you come, Scott, I know you come and sing and lead us in worship because you love the Lord Jesus. And that is his motivation. Guys, that's got to be our motivation, or we become what Paul talked about as a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Remember? 1 Corinthians 13, 1, though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love. Wow, if I have not love, I am a sounding brass. I don't know what that is, but it must not have sounded very pretty. Or a clanging cymbal. A sounding brass, maybe something like a gong you hit or something. 
Anyway, that is four and five. And he says this, then he says, remember from where you've fallen, repent. So the, the response is to repent. Go back and do the first works. What were the first works? The first works were confession. You said, Lord, I'm so sorry for what I've made of this. I love that song about the heart of worship. Lord, I'm so sorry for what I've made this become. Lord, forgive me. Let me move forward and let my, let my preaching, let my singing, let it be, Lord, unto you and you only. And like we, that guy, I don't remember who it was, you said that they would come and say, man, we just want to see you uh, on fire. And he says, though, he said, why do people come and hear you? And he said, they just want to come and see me get set on fire and burn up. And that's what it needs to be. Who was that? John Wesley. So though I speak of men and of tongues and angels, but if I don't have love, guys, if there's no love in what we're doing, what does Jesus say here? I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place. Is he talking about taking away our salvation? No, he is talking about taking away our influence. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. When we are focused on our own stuff and when we have removed ourselves from our first love, we have no spiritual influence in the world around us. And Daniel, the prophet, had great spiritual influence. You know why? He was not even a Babylonian. He had influence, Daniel, because Daniel had a relationship with the Lord God who was, that was so amazing and so incredible that the Babylonians were mystified by him. And so when we have that kind of a relationship with the Lord Jesus, when we exhibit that kind of love in the way we live out our lives, we have influence in this community, in this county, in this state, and all over the United States and the world. So stop and ask yourself some questions this morning. How are you loving God? How's your love life with the Lord? How is it? I'm asking me too. Don't feel picked on. And how are you at loving people? Have your own agendas and own interests gotten kind of in the way? And uh, are you doing anything of Christian service? And if so, why are you doing it? I mean, maybe your, your, your Christian service is going about your day. It doesn't just mean doing things at the church, but going about your day and telling others about him. It's funny, people will come and say to me, uh, I've had people come here and go, I came to y'all's church and it was so unfriendly. Nobody, nobody came to me and greeted me. And I asked this person, this was like four years ago, I said, well, did you greet anybody? They may have been there for the first time, the person next to you. I said, well, I didn't even think about that. I said, we're a new congregation. It's like every week, it's a whole new group of people. So how are we loving others? That should be more important than in our mind about they're just not giving me attention and loving me like I need to be loved. Years ago, when Michael and Scott and Diana and Sandy and I had the home fellowship in our home. Michael, one of the first weeks that we were there, and, and the Britons would come. Y'all taught us how to make unleavened bread. I remember that. Thank you. And uh, Michael said to me, Faber, realize that everybody that will come in here has an agenda. And that just seemed creepy to say. I said, what do you mean an agenda? And what he said is he said they have an agenda about what it ought to be like and what ought to be taught and what songs ought to be sung. And they kind of have an idea of how that all ought to be. So he, he reminded me, and I'm going to remind you today, let's all come in with one agenda, 
and let it be that Jesus might be lifted up. As long as that is our agenda here, we are all on the same page and we are all headed in the same direction. Let his name be lifted up. Let him be loved by each of us. We'll honor him and we'll obey him together and we will worship him in this place. Amen. And lastly, he softens it a bit, but this you have. You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear to hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of paradise. So the Nicolaitans were these believers that so preached grace that they never talked about sin. And they had a very, very fleshly lifestyle. What they were doing was abusing Romans chapter 6, where Paul talks to uh, the Roman church and he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? All right. That's taking advantage of the good graces of God. And he said, I praise you all because you hate the deeds that they're doing, these Nicolaitans. I don't think we know much else about them. And then he goes on and he says, he who has an ear to hear what the Spirit says. He's in this part about eating from the tree of life, I think that is a promise to every believer. He's not saying you do all this good stuff and therefore you're going to have eternal life. As believers, we are all partakers in the tree of life. We will have life and life eternal with the Lord and we will have it in heaven. All right. And that's how he ends up. So the big idea today is, have you left your first love? And I want to read a couple of little pieces here now that the Spirit's brought to me waiting. Do y'all remember when we studied the parable of the sower? And do y'all remember what the third person was? Do y'all remember that? I was trying to see this. Here it is. And yet he has no root. Let's see. But he who has received the seed on stony places, he hears the word immediately, receives joy. That's not it. Yet no root. For when tribulation and persecution come, immediately he stumbles. Now, he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word. Here it goes. This is what assists us in walking away from our first love. This is the person that receives the seed among the thorns. That's us who have received salvation of the Lord, okay? I'm reading from Matthew chapter 13. He hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about in the church of Ephesus. They had, they had received the seeds, even though they were there among the thorns, and yet they let the cares of the world, the attractions of Ephesus, the distractions of Ephesus, take control of their hearts, and they became unfruitful, all right? That is what we don't want to be. Then the other one I wanted to end with is what I ended with on Wednesday. How do I get back? If I have walked away from my first love, it's not a hard step to take to get back to your first love. In Romans chapter 12, and I'm not talking about salvation here, because when you, there's only one way to salvation, and that is through the consecrated death, burial, and resurrection, and belief in that work on the cross for the believer. It's the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is the only thing that will save. But the only thing that consecrates, Paul is telling us here, is he says, by the mercies of God, that means because of the mercies of God, 
this presentation, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, because that's the reasonable thing to do. So I'm saying to you today, the way back to your first love is say, Lord, Lord, I have, I have stepped into the way. I have become part of the problem. Lord, I want my life to be a living sacrifice. It's only you that can sacrifice your own life. Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross for salvation. We sacrifice ourselves for consecration. It's saying, Lord, I choose today, and for me it has to be daily because I forgot about this since Wednesday, to submit myself to the sovereignty of God. When we begin to submit ourselves to the sovereignty of God, we're right back where the church in Ephesus started. And let us remain there and abide there. Amen? Let's pray. Brother, come pray.